Hey, I'm Nick. And I'm Greg. He's old, but I'm young. But we're both cute. And you're listening to another episode of the Mangina Dialogues. Hey, Nick, you know what today is? I do not, Daddy. I mean, Greg. Today is the first day with our new sponsor, BlueChew.com. You got to be familiar with who they are and what they do by now, aren't you there, fella? (laughs) A little bit. Refresh my memory, you old loser. (laughs) Well, these guys have come out with what is probably the best thing to happen to sex in a long time, a chewable male enhancement pill. Well, not pill, kind of like a chewable. And it's utterly amazing. I'm sure guys of your age really need this more than guys like mine. No, I mean, you being in your early 70s would dictate that you probably need this more than I do in my early, early, early 30s, you know? Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It it is true. And, you know, the best thing about this is that you don't need to go to the doctor. When you order it and you get approved through their online physician's consultation, it comes to your house in a discreet little package. So whether you're 30 or 330, no one's going to know that you've ordered one of these little awesome little tools to help you get going when you may need a little assistance yes and this by the way has the same active ingredients as cialis and viagra which i've taken both right now before this podcast so i could be hard the entire time it's gonna be wild wet and wild good thing we're on a zoom call so you could see it in action (laughs) yeah man i mean i think you really come to the time you should tell people how they go about and get this really special deal from listening to us you go to bluechew.com Okay, get your first order free when you use promo code MANGINA, M-A-N-G-I-N-A. Just pay $5 shipping. That's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code MANGINA. You're welcome. That was awesome. This is the Mangina Dialogues. We at it again with your host, Nick Scopes. And the Gregolicious, you know how we do, because you know we keeping it gangster and silly. Unplug like a pool swung titty, about get jitty, cause you know we down to the nitty and the gritty, and we make shit sound so damn pretty, yeah, cause this so the comedy, and right now you're in the mix, so get ready, cause we about to get it poppin', and we ain't stopping. I'm educated, unfiltered, unhinged. <laughs> I think we've ever had anyone dance to the theme song. No, definitely not. That was a first. And that was oh, welcome, welcome to the Mangina Dialogues. I'm your host, Nick Scopes. And I'm Greg Alprin. Oh, he's using his real name today. And our, <laughs> our guest dancer and our guest for the day is Jeff Scott. He is the comedy store head pianist and archivist. What's that up, is Greg? correct. Hi, Nick. Hi, Greg. Thanks hey, for having Jeff. me on. Thanks, Thanks for, for dancing. Up. We appreciate yeah. it. It was very nice. <laughs> I turned away for one second and looked back and I'm like, whoa, we got a dancer. That's phenomenal. <laughs> Which is amazing that uh, Nick has never actually danced. Our team, so we're going to have to get some video of that and post it on Instagram or something. Oh, I, video- I videoed this. Don't worry. Where oh, no. I'm talking about videoing yeah. you dancing. Oh, yeah. That'll be one day. You know. Anyway, man. How's it going? Say, uh, I was a theater dancer in my early days. I thought I was going to end up in New York as a Broadway chorus guy. So I do a little tap, a little jazz, but uh, not not so much anymore. I'm doing great. Thank you again for having me on. I really appreciate this. Nick Nick's dancing is is pretty much just twerking. That's <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Nick's perfected right. the twerk 
I can twerk, but I have other skill sets. Okay. Don't let Greg. Yeah. 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 So how's uh, LA treating you these days? No comedy store shows? No. Well, we're sort of open and sort of not. Right. Uh, the, the, we were, there was a four step series of what could open post COVID. Uh, we closed, uh, I, my last night working at the, the comedy store was March 12th. And I think we closed on the 14th. Um, and then by about April or May, they got tier one, two, and three open. Tier four was live enclosed inside entertainment venues, like our showrooms. Yep. Uh, and then everything got reset back to tier one. Uh, so we are open. We, we've taken all the tables from outside and set them up in our patio uh, and along the driveway and in the parking lot in the back. And so you can come in and have drinks and have some of our delicious comedy store food. <laughs> and we are doing some podcasts and things from inside the club, but they're being put out like you guys on Zoom or on YouTube or something. You know, it's streamed. We still can't have a show physically for people to come and watch yet. Right. And, people, like I've seen people coming and just hanging out yeah. and eating. Obviously, that's the tables in the parking lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there's always people that just want to hang out and have a drink. I mean, we've got a great cruising spot, that front patio. Yeah. We're dead center on the strip in on Sunset Boulevard. So it's a nice place to just people watch. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, I spent a considerable amount of time um, people watching and tequila drinking. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And watching people drinking tequila. Exactly. And other things. And yeah, great. You know, the one <laughs> I, I, I keep telling Nick about, you know, Nick is yet to get out there with me. I, I spend a lot of time in Southern California. And, um, you know, the coolest part about the comedy store, besides obviously what goes on inside, is just chilling in that outside patio bar, you know, in between so shows, yeah. just in general, hanging out. It's, it's such a cool place for people that are fans of comedy and um, just the entire scene to you know, get a chance to talk to some of these guys who do a set or in between their sets in the different rooms, just hang out outside. Like it's a chilled place to hang. Yeah. I mean, besides being a stand-up club, which there's many stand-up comedy clubs in the city, but we do have that vibe of a nightclub with our three showrooms. We have, you know, all sorts of areas for people. And like you said, if you want to just come and have a drink on the patio and you could, be standing right beside Joe Rogan or Dave Chappelle and have a nice conversation. You know, nobody gets uh, really uppity there. The comics hang out with the people and very friendly. We're also a really old building. Yeah. Our building was originally built in 1932. Uh, and then uh, the mob bought the building in 1939 and turned it into Ciro's nightclub in 1940. And then up to about 58, it was Ciro's. And we just did a little remodeling at the beginning of the year in our main room and pulled down a wall and there was old original velvet Ciro's wallpaper and some Chinese green wallpaper that I meticulously took pieces off for my archive work. So the club still has secrets it's giving up. I've been there 24 years and I'm still, there are places that I have not been in that building. <laughs> no, that's pretty wild. Is it true? I've heard uh, it's possibly one of the rooms is haunted. Is that true? All of it is. Yeah. They, oh, they, um, they, they, uh, one of the things that the mob did, Bugsy Siegel 
basically owned it with Herman Hover. And Herman Hover, oh, oh no, no, wait, not Herman Hover, it's another guy. Um, the guy that owned the Hollywood Reporter. Right. And then when Ciro's was buzzing along, they went to Vegas to open up uh, the, the clubs out there. Uh, and Mickey Cohen basically ran the Ciro's business. And it was a private nightclub for its first year. Only celebrities, Jimmy Stewart and, and, and Marilyn Monroe and, you know, a, a famous big band or a singer on stage. Uh, but then, uh, you know, they finally sold it and it opened up to the public. Um, and now I forgot what I was talking about and why. <laughs> that it was haunted. Nick brought up that yeah, it, was, it was haunted. Oh, oh yes, 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 yes. Well, there, there are there are quite a few rumors that people have been uh, whacked uh, out back. There's an alley that's behind the building, and they did used to take people up on the third floor. And there are what looks like just office doors, and they open out to the alley, and they used to pull stuff up on a pulley because they stored the liquor on the third floor because that was just how it was done from prohibition days when the club was open. So the, the mob kept the liquor on the third floor also. And those doors from inside the club looked like office doors. So if you didn't pay your bill and Mickey didn't feel like beating you up, he'd just say, step into the office and you'd fall four floors and, or three floors and break your legs. <laughs> pay your bill. <laughs> and they, they, they did illegal abortions in the club, which is why Mitzi named the belly room the belly room. Oh my it's, God, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that either. Yeah, oh yeah, the mob did legal illegal abortions. I'm still, I'm not quite clear if it's in our basement or if it actually was in the belly room because the belly room used to be part of an office and then the other side of it was the small private dining club. In fact, there's a corner section that is still up there and I have a picture of Frank Sinatra with his arm leaning on that exact corner that is still up in the belly room. Wow. Uh, so yeah, they, they, there are a lot of people that reportedly got whacked here, got killed. There's a, a secret tunnel in the basement under the original room that goes under Sunset Boulevard so they could escape quick if the place was raided. Where does so, it come in? Uh, come out at the, the hotel across the street? It would, yeah, under the House of Blues or right. whatever that the, the thing is now. Sunset? Glass monstrosity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was a way for them to sneak out real quick. If, you know, somebody was coming for them, they crawl through this tunnel and uh, it's, it's boarded up, but it's maybe three feet by a foot and a half. Wow. It looks just like a, a basement window, but then you open it up and it's all bricked and you can tell that it was, you know, hand carved under the street. So, yeah, we do have ghosts. I did for a couple of years. I did a, a Halloween ghost show and at the end and I showed slides and history and I did some magic. As I mentioned, I was into puppets and magic when I was a kid and uh, still do a little magic every now and then. And then we would turn the lights out in the in the entire club, give the audience flashlights and give them a haunted tour of all the places that people never go. Now we can't do that because we've got so many shows. Yeah. And the basement is now a podcast studio. It's not as scary as it used to be. But, you know, I, have I seen an actual ghost? No. Have I seen things that I can't explain? 100%. <laughs> have I seen... That's just I, Jeff Ross in a, in a weird outfit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Damn you, Joey Diaz. <laughs> well, there was there was a night when I was going to our uh, back alley behind the building, what we call sacred ground, because Mitzi named it sacred ground. That's where the guys used to go to smoke cigarettes and smoke their illegal, well, now illegal. Yeah. Why, why do I have to pretend to smoke weed? Right. <laughs> and, and, and Mitzi said that's the voice Nancy sacred ground for them. So she would never come out there. She'd send the town coordinator to find the comic. And that's where we all hang out. And I and, and the door that goes out there is the security door. That's where they close up at the end of the night. It's got a little window in it. I was walking there and I saw somebody with a white hoodie standing on the other side of the door. You know, they had their back to me, but they had on a white hoodie. And I started to open the door and they moved forward. So I opened the door completely, and instead of a person, it was like if you could blow a bubble in a perfect outline of a human and then fill that bubble with smoke. You know how a bubble performers fill a a bubble with smoke? Except this was in the perfect outline of a human. Then the edges popped, the smoke stayed together, and it just drifted down the alley into nothing. And I turned around and I ran the fuck out of there because I, oh I, my God. I got, I got the, the goosebumps right now because I know what I saw. Yeah. Even if a comic had blown a smoke bubble there, it wouldn't have been in the shape of a human. And it didn't touch the ground. It was about a foot off of the ground. One of my ghost uh, people that I had explained to me that that means it was probably a spirit that was not necessarily connected with our club. So they could be possibly moving around. Anyway, door opens. I see this thing here. It starts to just float down the alley. And I'm like, okay. And I turned and ran back inside. I knocked over my friend Tony Hinchcliffe, who was coming out at the same time. Tony came up to me later in the night and said, what was going on there when you ran into me? You looked. Did you see something? I mean, I think he could just sort of tell. And I told him what I had seen. Now, this was before Tony was a paid regular. He was just working the phones earlier that day at the club. And Tony said, I was working the phones upstairs this afternoon. Walked into the the belly room to use the bathroom. He said, a smoke-filled bubble, the shape of a human, not touching the ground, was standing in the doorway of the men's room, and I turned around and walked away. (laughs) So we both completely during the day and at night both saw the exact same thing you know i don't know if that's a ghost if that's a spirit i honestly i can't say it it just like i said my skin right now tells me that i saw something that is not normal so i i will i will say that it's it's uh certainly had its haunted vibes on the other hand We've only done a little bit of remodeling in the past couple of years, just mainly like rebuilding the booths and things just structurally needed to be rebuilt. Um, and nobody's really seen anything ever since then. Huh. So I think maybe we've taken it over enough that uh, whatever presence is in there may have settled down. <laughs> they moved I don't down. know, but yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that's what you're supposed to do. And I guess that's what a spirit is, is yeah. Uh, a soul that is trapped or doesn't want to move on. Yeah, they're making their way down like to the I cattle know. ranch. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were going to go to the, the Laugh Factory. Yeah. So <laughs> I, in, in doing some other, like, research, I, I saw, you know, you mentioned your, you know, puppets and all that stuff when you were younger, that you were also a mime, right? And, right? You did remind me. So Cleveland's, I, Cleveland's best known mime. Right. So I read that <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second. It said you were known as Cleveland's best known mime. So the question has to be, is there like a big mime circuit in Cleveland? That So they actually named you know, it, the best mime? Who's the second best? Yeah, who's the second Or worse, who's uh, the second the, the second best, although he would say he was the first because he was older than me, but I replaced him um, with a guy by the name of Chris Eddy, and he even taught at a college and went to Europe and trained professionally, whereas the, the classes and things I took, when I did mime, it was, I'm doing something silly and fun and entertaining. I'm not being like, oh, look, I'm leaning on a thing, and oh, no, there's a wall. You know, it's not the, the Marcel Marcel performance. I did more silly, enjoyable, happy stuff. And in the 80s, mime was a huge thing, huge, huge thing. People, I worked every weekend. I had $50 an hour, and then I got up to 100 by the time I graduated high school. Wow. And I used to do two, two to four hours wandering mime at parties, conventions. I would do tableside magic and I'd have a preset show if they wanted a whole show where I'd bring somebody up and do a haircut routine. Uh, I, I modeled for uh, a couple uh, uh, worldwide posters and calendars and greeting cards for American Greetings Corporation. Uh, I taught. Uh, children's mime for two years with the children's theater at a uh, at the Fairmount Center of Arts, which is our huge community theater. Uh, I, I taught. I again, I thought I was going to go to New York and be, you know, the the chorus guy. But the mime work, when my friends were flipping burgers, I was doing the commercial and making nineteen hundred for you know a day work back in nineteen eighty. So hey. and and I thought I'll just do that until I'm ready to go to college and i realized i don't need college this is what i'm doing i've already got my career you know i'm the best known mime in cleveland yeah. I'm the best. well I'll, I'll tell you something funny i have a press kit and in there it referred to me as cleveland's best known mime my father wrote uh the um work magazine for american greetings and had pictures of me all in his office, which is how the photographers found out that his son was a mime, and I ended up getting these these uh, gigs doing greeting cards and posters and stuff. Uh, but my dad helped me write up a, a, a sort of a press kit for things, because sometimes I would be going to a bar mitzvah, and they'd say, send us something that we can put in the blurb or in the, you know, the, the church paper or whatever. And so my father wrote something in there, and he just coined the phrase, Cleveland's best known mime. And then it got printed in one of the local newspapers. And since they said it was true, I mean, since it was in print there. It's true. <laughs> okay. It's in print. <laughs> I mean, I, I have pictures of me inside windows at, at display uh, at grocery stores and shopping stores. Uh, specifically the Halley building and Higby building where, where, uh, oh, what was that movie they filmed in Cleveland? They showed all those buildings in it. Uh, 
the Christmas one with the little kid in the house. Ah, Home Alone? Matter, but... Home Alone? Yeah. No. Uh, I'm not sure if that was it. Yeah. Yeah, that was. That is. Yes. Uh, those are the, all those people that were extras are friends of mine. And I was going to audition to be an extra, but then I got uh, another very well-paying freelance gig and decided I didn't need to be an extra in the movie. <laughs> hmm. Now, so, when did you when did you decide to head out to LA? Like, when did that happen? Uh, well, in 1990, whoops, wait a minute. In 1987, I was hired to work at SeaWorld as a pre-show mime for the Sea Lion and Otter show. They had always had a mime at the beginning of the show to sort of help the audience come in and, you know, a little silly stuff and all. And yes, a mime at SeaWorld? At SeaWorld? Yeah, that's Ohio. interesting, man. Yes, I never would have thought. Yes, yeah. and yes. The original SeaWorld was in Ohio on a lake, and there was an amusement park across the street. And it was because it's nowhere near the ocean. You can, <laughs> you can go see. Like they picked Ohio. Yeah, the, the whole point was they're bringing the ocean to a place where there's no ocean. So I did four to eight uh, like 10, 15 minute pre-show mind shows every single day. Uh, and then they, uh, that year we're going to do a brand new nighttime laser and fireworks show. Never been done in the entire country. There were lasers, but they just were straight lights. Our lasers made patterns and there was a screen that floated out on the, the lake and they able to make like uh, Shamu and it would spin and they'd put me in a cone and I'd pretend to be stuck in this cone. And I was just going to be a character called the maestro. You know, I sort of relying on my mind character. I didn't have a lot of words in the script. It was just basically a host to set up, well, what would it look like if we had a, a laser Shamu? Da, 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 da. You know, and then the laser thing happens and then I say something else. Well, about a week before we uh, opened that show, and it was going to be two shows a night, seven nights a week, which wow. I did, as well as six to eight mind shows during the day for the first couple months. Um, they, they, uh, there was a morning talk show that uh, did every summer, they did their you know morning chat, like Good Morning America type show. It was called The Morning Stage. And they did it from uh, SeaWorld every summer to kick off the summer. We're live here at SeaWorld. And they had been wanting to do a story on me now. <laughs> Here's another thing. I used to be the country's uh, top Pee Wee Herman impersonator. And yes. I'm his body double on the big top poster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I did this show. And morning's cage had me on there as a guest. <laughs> did the whole thing. And the host said, well, you can see him out here hosting the laser show every night. Well, he didn't know I wasn't doing Pee Wee. I mean, if they wanted me to do Pee-wee, I'm going to ask for a lot more money than I was asking. Yeah, any more hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After the show, I got a, uh, uh, a note that I had to go to the president of the corporation's office. Not just the president of the Ohio Park. The big boss from San Diego was there and saw me as Pee-wee on that morning show. And I thought, oh, shit, I'm fired. <laughs> what did I do? And they said, and they said, would you consider hosting the laser show as Pee Wee instead of this character? And I said, one, yes. 
Two, a lot more money. <laughs> and three, I want complete control of the show so that I can improvise my own script. And because who knows better than me what Pee Wee would do. And I had a 10-minute pre-show with the audience there before the actual laser show. So as people came in, I had them build me a toy trunk and I filled it with all sorts of SeaWorld toy merchandise and I would just do the peewee type act. And two shows a night, seven nights a week. And then during the winter, they sent me to the San Diego park to perform where I did, uh, I was in a show called City Streets and we did six to eight or nine shows a day. And I only worked six days a week down there, but I lived in Pacific Beach. I was a block from the bay, three blocks from the ocean, and three blocks from the comedy store condo, where I used to see crazy guys out on this patio, this one condo all the time. Now I know it's people that I know wow. from back then. I, 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 the first time I went to the condo playing piano at the comedy store in La Jolla, when I walked into the condo, I'm like, this is that place I used to always see guys out on the front deck having drinks all day, every day. And I couldn't figure out what do those guys do? It was our comics that work nights. Wow. So I fell in love with the, uh, the California weather and SeaWorld offered me a very uh, exclusive uh, <laughs> third year deal uh, also to be a show producer, which was a very good paying job. But I fell in love with the weather in California. And I wasn't going to go to New York and be a chorus guy, but I thought, I'm going to L.A. and I'm going to see what I can do in the business out there. So that was, it was just sort of a, a crazy decision based on the weather. That's, and a then wild, I worked, that's a wild story. Worked on cabaret shows out here and uh, played piano for somebody's one-person show and then maybe piano for a stand-up show here. And then I got in at the improv with a once a month show that was all female comics and i kept meeting more and more comics and working with them and then eventually got recommended and uh was hired at the comedy store and i started uh what was it december 9th 1995 and i played two shows well we actually in my showroom we only have one long show starts at nine o'clock and goes till two in the morning yeah. I'm there five nights a week, so I, I, I still like working. I miss, I miss my job. I don't know how many people th that you've talked to would actually say that. I know Holtzman said that, and Earl Skakel, I watched him on your show. And, you know, performers, we, yeah, I'm single. Most comics are single. <laughs> We're married to our career. Yeah. That's what we love, and that's what we live for. And... I, I've been very proud of a lot of our comics because they've been going on Zoom and other platforms and creating online shows. A ballet dancer can't really do that by themselves or a guy that plays French horn in an orchestra, you know, but comics have really picked up this mantle, gone online and are still working their craft. And I'm very, very proud of. Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely unique and, uh, you know, to do a show to really no audience. Right. Besides, bunch yeah, on the thing with no no real audience feedback, which is what a comedian you know needs and thrives on. But you know, right. it really hasn't stopped. You know, you can't say that about it. most other performances. Yeah, there's some music stuff, but it's hard because the quality is pretty terrible. Right. You know, comedian yeah. just <laughs> just needs a microphone. You know. Right. Uh, so it's been impressive. Right. It's a very single art. Yeah. You know. Um, was there was there a house 
piano player prior to you? The, oh, the, yeah, they always had a piano player. The uh, Hi, Mike Becker, I'm talking about you. Mike Becker was the head piano player and the vice president. So oh. when I started at the comedy store, there were three people that ran the place. Mitzi Shore, the owner, that did the lineups. Mike Becker, the vice president who played the piano in the main room and did everything else in the club, you know, ordering the bar, the wait staff, and then a guy by the name of Scott Day. Hi, Scott. Scott was our talent coordinator, and uh, he would sit with Mitzi, watch the shows, decide who did well, who didn't. She'd say, tomorrow, don't put him there, put this person there. And so it was just those three people. But there were a couple other, I think there were like four other piano players that, you know, did, did sub work. But we had a live piano in the main room, right. uh, which we don't anymore. Uh, it's backstage <laughs> because we can put six seats there. Yeah. <laughs> we're not stupid. Uh, but we still have piano live in the original room, my showroom, which is basically uh, the belly room is small. Yep. The original room is medium. And the main room is a large 400 people. My room seats almost 200. Right. So I, I still play piano in there. And uh, I have a couple other guys that play for me on other nights. And uh, I Brad. <laughs> so, yeah, we still play. And, you know, it's become... It, when I started, there were still a lot of the guys from the 80s that were at the club and guys that did singing impressions yeah. or impersonations or song parodies or improv work where they like underscoring. So piano was a lot more vital to the show than it is nowadays. On the other hand, there are a lot of comics that I run sound cues for them or, you know, I, I have a cue or uh, do lighting design or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more than a pianist. I, cause I play some pretty good ragtime, but anything else is sort of, mm, I don't <laughs> read cheap music. So I can't really make a life as a pianist, right. but in the club it works. And, and I'm a damn good sidekick. You right. know, I, I know when to give a rim shot on the keyboard for somebody's cheesy joke or something yep. like that. Yep. And the comics also, feel sort of a kindred thing. They know that Jeff's in the corner, you know, so no matter what their act is, and guys have done this. Guys have been doing their act and not doing well. The audience just doesn't like them. So then they turn around and they start picking on me. Yeah. And suddenly the audience laughs at the comic picking on me, and now the comic's got the audience again. Yeah, it's Jeff's so fault. So if I serve that purpose, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, a, it's a, you know, so I've made it, more i don't know how the other guys i don't think they do as much really as right. as i do but from my performing background and i did stand up for about six years mostly as peewee that's where i first started in first name peewee was at comedy clubs back that's then. awesome um so I, i've got a good sense of timing it's just you know i stand up isn't my thing the few times i've had to go up on the stage as myself even just to change a mic that's broken or something I'm a ham. I'm I'm so comfortable on a stage if I'm in the costume and makeup and some crazy character. But when I walk up on that original room stage and there's an audience there and the bright lights and it's me without a costume or anything to hide behind, I'm nervous as hell. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't like being myself. <laughs> which is maybe why I can be myself from the <laughs> but maybe it's why I can be myself from the corner because I'm I i do not have a spotlight on me. 
Right. So I've learned to be a little more myself there. I still put on sort of a, hey, good evening, everybody. <laughs> That's right. I'll do that just to mess with the guys, you know. If the, if a guy's in a bad mood, I'll really give him a cheesy intro like that and try to break their uh, <laughs> break I was, that, their anger. <laughs> that's what I was gonna ask. Do you ever like when the comics rip on you? Do you ever like riff back or like play something funny to like? Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. I can't think. Uh, there was one. Gee, I just saw this one of my old tapes. I watched this. There was a night a comic said something, and <laughs> made some joke at my expense and I without even thinking just said the first thing off the top of my head and destroyed him. I got a standing ovation. <laughs> and he came uh, up afterwards and he was just like that's funny. You know, Dice told me once that was funny, but don't do that again. Don't make me laugh on stage. Right. <laughs> so I, I I feel pretty good if I could make Andrew Dice play laugh on stage. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Is there anyone that that like you ever? I mean, you may not even want to mention if it ever did happen, but anyone who you didn't like have a good rapport with that you sort of didn't do your your thing to when they would come up and on and off, or that just wasn't into the whole Probably. aspect of it. <coughs> Excuse me. There probably was. I can't. Often, I mean, there are some comics that I wouldn't have passed them, or they're their style is come and gone. Right. You know, and, and they haven't kept up with the current thing. And so it feels old. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there's there's some guys that I don't give my all to, but I'd never short sheet anybody on a good intro or playing them up or anything. Right, right, right. And I and I really only dig and talk shit to the guys that, you know, I know that I can get away with. Yeah. <laughs> like, who are some of those guys that, you know, you know you have the, the freedom, you know, and the, and the level of comfort to just fuck with when they come up on stage? Like, who are some of those guys? Well, there are, there are three guys. People always ask me if I have any uh, favorites, which I have tons of favorites. But these three guys encapsulate three different eras of the club that I've been through. And they're all three unknown <laughs> well they're, they're not let's say they're not famous <clears throat> but each has a unique style and destroys an audience the first one is a gentleman by the name of carl lebeau who uh, headlines up in vegas still he lives up there he was kinnison's uh, right hand guy Got he it. was in the car behind sam oh, wow. uh when the car accident happened he, right. he sam died in his arms wow. and he, he he has material, but it's just so smooth. One night he was in the main room and he told the, the lighting guy, he said, Danny, just give me a follow spot. And Jeff, just play cool jazz underneath my uh, whatever I say. Did his regular act, his regular material, but did it like, hey, how you doing, everybody? Okay. <laughs> you know, and went with the vibe. And it was just the, the, the physical moves and things that Carl does still does are wonderful uh and then a couple years later uh we got somebody uh, uh who you'll be familiar with my second uh favorite comic is a gentleman by the name of mr brian holtzman yeah. <laughs> uh which you uh, your your guests who watched episode 94 will be aware of and uh brian uh when he first started only performed at the comedy store and he's almost always last 
and he's like a 1950s nuclear TV dad that just lost his shit. Yes, that's exactly you know? what, what he is. What, 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 you know, the fascist, the fascist. And it is so, so crazy and, and so bizarre and so unorthodox. And Brian gets so flustered that he mispronounces words. Oh, I well, don't yeah. know if you understood everything he said on your podcast. There were a couple words that I uh, uh, will take contention with his enunciation. Oh, I, I my dad's like that, dude. My dad will get on a roll and yeah. say all the wrong. I'm like, no, I know what he means. I get it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it was actually but Brian is... He mispronounced the name. He, he was talking about Chris D'Elia and he totally butchered D'Elia's name. I'm, and I'm, I'm not going to stop Delia. him and correct him. You know? Delia, yeah. It was awesome. Anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. But uh, Brian is an amazing... And now he's starting to, you know, get... Uh, over the maybe the past five, six years, he's been at other clubs, but he used to be just primar- primarily at our our club. Uh, and then there's another guy that's younger, new generation, although he's been there almost as long as I have. So I don't know how young he is. Guy uh, by the name of Rick Ingram. Yeah, Rick. And Rick, Rick co-hosts our Comedy Store podcast with yep. Eleanor Kerrigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick is probably the smartest person next to my sister that or father that I have ever met. He is annoyingly brilliant. Anything he hears is stuck in his head and he can pull it out of his head like that when he's on stage and make a reference that you're like, how, how does this kid even know it? Rick celebrated his 21st birthday at the club one night not that he was working there before he was 21 certainly not (laughs) (laughs) anyway we were in we were in the kitchen and we were having shots for rick's birthday i think there were five of us and robin williams had just popped into the club that night and one of my jobs is when the big guys come in i'm like hey robin do you want to go on you know, I'm sort of the the face to check in with me since Missy's right. not here now. That yeah. used to be how it was. And so I'm the I'm the old guy at the club, I guess. Right. So I'm the one they see and check in with. Robin wasn't really interested in going on. Uh, he was just going to hang out. And I said, okay, well, if you change your mind. Then cut to later in the evening, and we're having shots for Rick's 21st birthday. And uh, it was right after Rick had a killer set in the original room. Rick didn't know Robin was there and didn't know that Robin watched his entire set with his mouth agape at how brilliant this young kid was. So Robin Williams comes into the kitchen just as we're doing shots and is just gobsmacked at Rick's humor. And we talked him into having a shot with us, which we, none of us feel really, good about that but he had a shot with us and then we went out to sacred ground to smoke and he came back with us and rick did impressions of all the guys that robin grew up performing with and was like how do you know these names and and rick basically on his 21st birthday gave a private show to robin williams well the the five of us stood there with robin smoking pot and <laughs> laughing our heads off. And Robin didn't perform. He did a little performing, but he's he's not the type that you think where he's on all the time. He was 
just, he was enjoying watching a new young comic and right. how does this kid know all these things that he shouldn't know, you know. Unfortunately, a uh, day later, it was in the news, Robin Williams checks back into rehab. So for us, it's a little shitty because uh, we, we, you know, we did something that l later uh, I think we all feel a little bad about. On the other hand, we also all have a memory with Robin. And we were out in the back for like 20 minutes with Robin. Wow. I was standing right beside him. He had his arm around me at one point. And the next day, I'm just thinking to myself, holy shit. I just had Robin Williams hanging out with me on my arm last night like we're buddies. <laughs> How did this little kid from Cleveland, Ohio? The number one mime. <laughs> you tell Robin that, you're like, hey, buddy, and you got your arm around me. I was the number one mime in Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> Fuck Mrs. Doubtfire. I was the number <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, tell oh, that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, when you, I mean, obviously being in, in there every day for so many years, it, like, I mean, you see all this amazing material night after night after night after night. I imagine that at some point that has to get somewhat boring. But on the other hand, how could it possibly be boring ever? Yes and no. I mean, you know, I don't watch everybody every night. But if I haven't seen somebody in a couple of weeks, I will make sure to watch their set. Right. I always want to just sort of keep a check and see in my head, even though I'm not the talent coordinator, I, uh, Mitzi, Mitzi offered me the job <laughs> seven times, I think. Wow. I would have been a very good talent coordinator. I like what I do. And right. she said, well, you could do both. <laughs> so I could basically live at the store and work all day and then work all night. Right. <laughs> nah, it's, it's, unfortunately, it's a bit of a thankless job, you know, yeah. because comics are suddenly all your best friend and hoping to get stage time. and. Yep and whatnot, where I enjoy my performing stuff. But even though I wasn't talent coordinator, I used to get a call first thing in the morning from Mitzi Shore. Oh, Scott. And she called me Scott, my last name, because she has a son named Scott also. Right. And uh, Scott, who, who did good last night? Who ran the line? And she'd ask me, you know, and that's what she normally would do with the talent coordinator. And so we went through seven talent coordinators. <laughs> we went through a year where we think, I think we had 11 managers one year. <laughs> also, but the past, these past three years, maybe four years have, it's never been anything like this. Even in the heyday, they weren't doing two shows seven nights a week in all the rooms. Right. Uh, we're, until the COVID, the COVID, we were just, uh, we were on fire yeah just on fire it was insane and it's so so much fun to be up there when there's a packed live audience you know and there's something about sitting in a dark room with a bunch of people like you watch a movie or a, a, a play or something you have that quiet experience where you can sort of let yourself go as the audience and laugh because nobody sees me here in the dark and okay I, I wouldn't laugh at that inappropriate joke at the office but here you know, people can sort of let loose and not be so politically correct and just enjoy themselves like adults. And, you know, here's some stupid, silly, political prop comedy, all the 
all the above. We give you a different comic in my showroom, well, in all the showrooms, every 15 minutes. So in my room, you'll see like, you know, 16 guys in one night. Yeah, those are the and best if shows. Stay, if you stay after two, sometimes, or up until two, we'll keep putting on more comics. So Yeah. I've never made it past two. I, I've made it up until, <laughs> <laughs> but that's asking me a lot. Like I'm usually asleep by nine thirty. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's because you're old and you have trouble getting yeah. it up. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's Nick's opening. Wait, that rapper. sounds. That sounds like a segue for some sort of product <laughs> endorsement. <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, that is a good segue into our sponsor, Blue Chew. BlueChew.com. Blue Chew. <laughs> Blue Chew. Why don't you explain to everybody what Blue Chew is? Blue Chew is a chewable version that has the same ingredients as Cialis, Viagra, all that stuff. Flintstones um, chewables. It's yeah, it's chewable. It's easy. Also very discreet. You could you could just see a doctor online. <laughs> Jeff's making me laugh. Uh, you can see a doctor online. You don't have to go in person. And then when you get it shipped to yourself, it comes in a discreet packaging. Okay, Greg, so your neighbors won't know. My neighbors who are constantly up in my business. <laughs> They're always asking you about your <laughs> Yes, it's, we, it's a constant chatter around the neighborhood. Hey, you good? You getting it up okay? And my answer is always no. <laughs> Historically. Well, I have a cure for that. And then, lo and behold, <laughs> BlueChew.com. And Nick, what's BlueChew.com going to do for us? They're going to give you, was it 10% off? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get a good discount at bluechew.com by using the code mangina that's right mangina i'm trying to pull up the notes here because it went away i had it on my phone and then it just went away nick's not good at remembering things the only i'm not thing you, good that's you, you the only what go ahead the only thing you need to remember is www.bluechew.com bluechew.com with the code Angina for your discount, free shipping, uh, $5 shipping. $5 shipping, yeah. Uh, well, first order is free, and then it's off to the races. Stay hard. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, uh, could you mime an erection for us? Yeah, what does that look like? What does that look like? <laughs> Uh-oh, don't mess up the... the <laughs> There it oh that is perfect. That is perfect. Dude, that I'm is cutting perfect. this clip out and I'm putting it. <laughs> That's amazing. That's perfect. So wait, hey, hey, if you want, if you want, I'll put the white face on and do it for you. <laughs> I don't know, it's 2020, man. People are getting weird. We can't really do anything. So. Yeah, you can't have white you can't have white face matters. You can't do yeah. anything. Anything. Yeah crazy so wait let, let's just no there's no before we go in a few minutes i really want to talk about all the stuff behind <laughs> it, all these artifacts from the comedy store and being the yeah. archivist like what does that mean do you go up and like cut a piece of joe rogan's boxers like every night that he's there and <laughs> put that in <laughs> like not not, in, not every night no he, he he only allows me to do that on the sabbath <laughs> uh, <laughs> well now you're gonna have to go to Texas. but like you yeah i know i know do you collect well, um what do you get like what, as a, i mean obviously yeah, yeah. but like the basement the, the the large basement underneath the original room um 
used to house everything. Like Mitzi had posters, like these posters that you see back here for the cabaret rooms. She had these printed up for every week, these big, huge cardboard posters. Wow. And, you know, with a lot of the old famous Ronnie Kenny and uh, Jeff Wayne, Lois Bromfeld, John Campanera, uh, Charlie Hill, Gary Muldeer, Ollie Joe Crater, Adam May. Uh, and the basement was just filled with stuff like that. And I, when I found out that I was working in Ciro's, I suddenly got this interest in history right and realized that you know the comedy store things are going to someday be gone and nobody's really doing anything and preserving it so i sort of took it upon myself i'd ask missy could i have a copy of this post why you want that and i tried to explain okay <laughs> um so like this came from downstairs, a Mort Stahl poster. I don't know if you can see this telephone here. Yeah. yeah. This this yeah. phone had a little light on the side so that it wouldn't uh, disturb the show going on. This used to be beside Mitzi's booth in the main room. This was her personal phone. Wow. That when you had to call her backstage, uh, the little light would light up so you could talk to her. Uh, but yeah, I started collecting things. I came in one night and in our main room entrance, we have uh, a lot of big boxes. This big, large box here that you can sort of see behind me. Uh, and we used to take these letters that are you know, little plastic letters and we had to spell out the names of the comics that were on the lineup that night in the main room. Right. <laughs> Which the sound person, that was so much fun to do because it just was useless and it took a lot of time. Then eventually they started just printing the lineups. Mm -hmm. So uh, I came into work one day and this was out in the trash. Apparently it had fallen off the wall and it cracked down here at the bottom. And I asked our manager if I could have it. And he's like, why? And I said, well, it make it meet this white case for some of the things I've been collecting. I'll put some shelves in and stuff. So I have lots of things. I've got a, this is a, a piece of an old Ciro's chandelier that was hanging upstairs. But it was a uh, shank. <laughs> these are uh, these are actual used cigarettes. When Andrew Dice Clay stopped smoking, he would still open up a brand new pack and chew on a cigarette and then toss it away. So I've got his saliva. I can clone him. Wow. <laughs> He's pretty jacked. Uh, not a bad thing to try to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's all sorts of things. I've got a cassette tape of, uh, I secretly recorded one of Carlin's, uh, uh, George Carlin's performances. Uh, this lineup right here is very important. That was a night when there was a huge fight between uh, two famous comics. And uh, uh, just just look up Joe Rogan and Carlos and see a fight, and you'll know all about it. But oh, yes, I, I watched uh, that on YouTube. <laughs> I, I kept that lineup. Uh, because I would send the lineups to Mitzi. Uh, they, uh, they would go into the office so she could see who did how long. You know, I, I still run the time. Again, things that the town coordinator used to do, I just sort of absorbed in my job. Why not? It also gives me something more to do. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind having some extra things as opposed to play somebody and then just 15 minutes later play him again. So, so you, I run the light? you run the light at the at the. So that no, the uh, the the um, the girl and the uh, the girl and the guy in the cover booth uh, oh. run the light. 
Right. Uh, so they, they time it, and they're supposed to write it down also. But Mitzi used to like to have me do it, so she had two sets of eyes looking it. at it to see. To see. But on uh, November 13, 2014, Joe Rogan returns, and Joe signed it for me. Huh. <laughs> After those fights, he stopped coming in, and then in 14, he came back. So I've got a bunch of stuff up there. Also, there's, oh, here's a, this is a fun, there's one of uh, Dave Chappelle's cigarettes, butts. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Gotta so wait, him. so do you pick that up off the floor or did, like, how did you come to get the stage, the, on, on, the stage on the stage? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff, our yeah, last so I'm collecting. I want to show you just one other thing. This this is probably one of my favorite things. My friend Lou Deck, that used to be the Comedy Store um, videographer and uh, also is, uh, knows a lot of the history. He's sort of my cohort in the history. He gave this to me. This is a piece of the Westwood Comedy Store stage the night the club was torn down. Ooh. And he gave me this piece of stage, which doesn't mean anything to anybody except a bunch of comics, but to have a piece of the Westwood Club is, it's, it's silly, but it, I love it. <laughs> That's what, that was going to be my final question for you here before we wrap up was what would be your favorite thing that you have? Would that be it? Uh, well, I, I do buy Ciro's items and I have a lot of Ciro's. Like I said, our club used to be Ciro's. One thing that I have, uh, it, there there were these giant plaster blocks that were over the entrance of Ciro's and they're still up on the roof and I can't even remember why I was up on the roof once I mean 20 some years ago and one of them had totally fallen just kaboom, into like 30 pieces and I got a ladder and I scurried down there and I brought I haven't glued them all back together but I have an actual block plaster block from the, the Ciro's entrance there. Wow. So that and you know some of these other things. I've got pieces of carpet that they were original carpet and uh, uh, people's uh, signatures. Here's this little paste stub is R Rodney Dangerfield's paste stub. I've got a couple <laughs> of our old pay books that you know that show how much everybody made. Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. So I think it's it's all my favorite stuff. Let's say that. I, I love the comedy store and I love the building it was before it was a comedy store and I will continue to love it. And not to brag, even though I am Cleveland's best known mime, <laughs> uh, they, they gave me a huge honor. I was the first non-comic to ever have their name painted on the wall. They painted the wall, That's painted my name on the wall for my years of work there, which is, oh, how stupid, why am I crying? <laughs> anyway, it's- stupid, that's, dude. That's, you're, on the, you're on the wall, one of the most famous places on planet Earth. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's what I would be most proud of, that my name is up When did there. they do that? Yeah. <laughs> when, did, when did they do that? Huh? When did they do that? Oh, about eight years ago, I think. It was when our, uh, Dean Gelber was our manager. Is, uh, Dean grew up with Paulie Shore. They've been best friends since they were kids. So right. he worked for the club for a while. Yeah, I think that's probably about seven, six, seven years ago. Where is it? Where is it on the club? It's right above the back entrance behind oh. the, when you go into the belly room. Yep. yep. Uh, 
I'm right on I'm right on the wall and they put music notes beside it. So who are you nobody next else to? has Who are you next to? Oh, good question. I'd have to look at the picture. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's thousands of names on there. I'm sure I'm next to somebody famous. <laughs> That's but so just funny. A, really I can't think. Can't just think a comedian. They're just going to be a comedian. They're yeah, not Yeah, just somebody. They're just someone who's got their name next to the number one mime in Cleveland. Ever to come out of Cleveland. Well, listen, Jeff, really, thank you so much for taking this time to chat with yeah, us. We I appreciate, appreciate it, man. Hours and hours now. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much, we'll Nick and Greg. Again. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you. And next, when I'm out in L.A. next time, hopefully it's sooner than later, I need to come by and check out all this memorabilia. Just shoot the shit. Definitely. I'll give you, I'll give you the grand secret tour. I, yes. def- I want to get into some of those holes underneath I, the club. I want you to teach me how to mime. That's yeah. Right. Okay. He'll, okay. He'll, he'll, he'll First, it's right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to that. All right, Jeff. Uh, thank you very much. This was awesome. Such a good time. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.